praising God, feasting on faithfulness. The history of missions in the last century is filled with examples of men and women who have stood up in their time when the land was evil. Our history gives us women like Gladys Alwyn, who even in the face of the Japanese invasion, invasion of China in World War II, continued to serve orphans, who continued to proclaim the gospel in villages wherever she went, always just one step ahead of the invading Japanese force. Gladys knew very well that if she were caught, at a minimum, she would be executed. That doesn't include all the torture, rape, all the things that could have gone on before that execution. And yet, even though her friends urged her to leave, she stayed. She stayed to proclaim Christ among a people who had not yet heard. Richard Wormbrand was raised in a Jewish family in Romania. He became a believer in the 1930s and a pastor shortly before the Germans occupied the country during World War II. He and his wife, Sabrina, maintained their church, evangelized the German soldiers that had occupied their country, and even helped Jews escape from the German occupation. Later, at 1945, the Russians came in. The communists had taken over. The Russians came in. He continued the same practice, evangelizing now the Russians. He would take, actually, the communist manifesto and cut out, they'd leave in, like, the first chapter, and then cut out the rest of it and put in the New Testament, the book of John. So when the guys came to check what he was handing out, you know, the secret police, they'd see, oh, okay, it's the Communist Manifesto, they'd open the first couple of pages, yep, that's what it is, got it, okay, good. And they'd hand it back to the soldiers. God's grace in his life. But, in 1948, it caught up with him. And he was arrested by the secret police. He was put into prison, given a 25-year sentence. Richard Wormbrand was tortured beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Um, he, at the end of his life, still had trouble standing for any length of time at all because they had beat his, the bottom of his feet so many times. Um, but Richard Wormbrand also had the privilege, the second time he was imprisoned, to see his torturer from the first time in prison with him because he had become a Christian. Because of the many times he had tortured Richard Wormbrand and seen Christ's evidence in the man's life. He also had the privilege of seeing the prison warden from his first time, for like reasons, in the same cells with him. Brother Andrew, another one, who went behind the Iron Curtain with Bibles, and later behind the Bamboo Curtain with Bibles, 
all to proclaim Christ, even though the cost, the price, would have been torture. It feels a little odd to have someone playing in the back of my head. Do what we have to for the gospel. <laughs> okay. You can find the, uh, the biography of, of any of these guys. Every, everything looks normal, but it's not But working. me. Well, I'm no, it's not working. Yeah. So what I'd like you to do is just keep this in front of you, and it will help immensely. Okay, should I just take this off? No, you can leave I'm it I'm not going to get feedback? No, it doesn't matter. I don't get good feedback anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 I'm trying to quit. Okay, this ought to be an interest. This is going to be an interesting review next Thursday when we talk with Paul. Anyway, um, so no, no, about my about the yeah. Anyway, never mind. Um, so you can get the biography of all of these people, Gladys Allwood. Um, you can get the biography of Richard Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ is the is the topic of that one or the name of that one, um, and uh, um, Brother Andrew. Uh, behind the iron bamboo curtain, you can get his book. All of them are fantastic and well worth reading. And are stories of, of men and women who stood in the face of evil and proclaimed the gospel and made it known. Let's uh, take a look at Psalm 37, 1 through 6. <clears throat> This is a psalm written by David. Uh, later in his life, we're not looking at that verse, but if you looked at verse 25, it says, I have been old and now I'm young, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. So it tells us that this was written in the later part of his life. All right. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I hope today to make several points to you. The first one is that God is faithful. So you can trust him with every aspect of your life. I hope you'll walk away today knowing that you can trust in God to dwell in the land. You can trust in God to give you your heart's desires. And you can trust in God to make you a bright light. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, come before you today Lord, uh, in desperate need of you in desperate need of, of your help to proclaim your word. <coughs> Father, I am so grateful for your text, for, for the word you give us, 
They breathe life and hope into our spirit. Holy Spirit, come now, I ask, and, and open our hearts to receive your word. Open our ears to hear. Lord, prepare it. May your word go forth in strength. May your body, Lord, uh, be built up and encouraged and strengthened. That your kingdom may go forward. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the Bible for a lot of reasons. I love it because it's God's word to me and to his church. I love it because the Holy Spirit breathes life into the word. He uses it to convict us. He uses it to help us repent. I love it because it tells me the truth. The truth, though, isn't always easy to hear. I don't always really want to hear the truth that the Bible tells me. I don't really honestly want to hear that evil is in the land. And yet, when I read the Bible, I see it all through it. I see that evil is always present among us. It has been since the fall. And it will be until Christ returns. I had a pastor once tell me, if you don't want to deal with evil evil in the earth, die, go to heaven. Because otherwise it's going to be here. And we're going to have to deal with it. In fact, it seems... that that kingdom, until that kingdom comes, will never really be rid of it. It may rise, it may fall, but it will always be here. Now some of those people who are, are doing wrong, it's obvious to us. I mean, they are just horrible, wretched people. And sometimes we see those people come to justice. We see them meet an early demise because of the choices they've made. Yet, others seem to prosper. They do well. They have nice cars. They have nice houses. Everything they seem to put their hand to in business, they excel at. And that's harder for us to grasp. In fact, at times it seems that those people thrive among chaos. They thrive in fear and oppression of others. And that, that's harder for us to understand. That's harder for us to watch. And as we look at their material success, as we look at how well they're doing, we may have the tendency to be envious of them. And say, boy, I wish I had a little bit of what they got. I wish I was driving that car. I wish I had that house. part of our nature. The Bible is full of stories of evil men who oppress those who are faithful to God. Men and women 
who treat God's servants poorly, sometimes taking their very lives because they're faithful to God, because they stand up for what is right and do good in the land. If you don't believe it, we can look at the very beginning of the Bible. You could turn to Genesis 4 and look at the story of Cain and Abel. Abel's doing what's right. He makes right sacrifices. Cain doesn't like it. God calls him on the carpet for it. So Cain calls his brother and says, Hey, come on over in this field here and we're going to talk a second. Oh, let me kill you. He kills him. Abel was just doing what was right before God. You go a little farther and you could look at Ahab and Jezebel. There's lots of stories in there of how they mistreated the faithful in Christ, one of them being Elijah. You could go a little farther and look at the exiles when you get into the story of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and how Sanballat, Tobiah, stood against them and tried to ruin, uh, ruin the reputation of Nehemiah with both the local people and with the king. Evil people always seem to be standing in the way of good, and they are always trying to put down the good. In fact, Jesus tells his followers in John fifteen twenty that they will be persecuted for his sake. He says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 gives us a list of all those who face difficult times, evil in the land. Who are listed because of their great faith. But then he also tells us about those who faced evil in faith to God and they were tortured and they were mocked and they were beaten and they were stoned and they were sawn in two. Friends, evil is in the land. If you haven't come across it yet as a Christian, you will. It's not an if, it is a when. But God's prescription for that is not to run and hide. It's not to lay low. It isn't to find some desert island or some place in the desert and separate ourselves from it. And it isn't to create a commune where we just have other believers around us. That isn't what we're called to. God has a very different plan for us. And David, the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that we are instead to trust in God and dwell in the land. Trust in God and dwell in the land. We're to do good and to feed on faithfulness. 
What David is telling us to do goes against the grain. It goes against everything we think we should do. If you take guys like Richard Wormbrand, everybody told him, get out. This is going to end poorly for you. And from, I'm sure, his neighbor's perspective, the fact that his wife did five years in the labor camp and he did another 20 plus years in a prison, they would probably look and say he was right. But I guarantee you, for the prison warden, for the torturer, who came to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they would disagree. They would disagree. David tells us we're to stand firm. Yes, there's evil in the land, but trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. It provides a stark contrast to the evil in the land. Verse 3 is interesting um, in that in the Hebrew it's actually four different imperative phrases that, that comes out. And if we were to translate a little more strictly, it would be and an imperative is in the second person, it's, so it's directed towards a, a you. So it would be you trust in the Lord. You do good. David really puts it in your face with that. You dwell in the land. And I like this because we don't really translate it this way. But it's you graze on faithfulness. It's an interesting word. It's not gaze. It is graze like what sheep do. Graze on faithfulness. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But... I want to make the point that these things that, that David is pointing out and directing us towards, to command us towards, are foundational to our very faith. Let's take a few minutes and, and look at that first command that David gives us, to trust in the Lord. In a sense, it's one of the oldest commands in the Bible. When you think about it, it starts in the very Garden of Eden. God lays out before Adam and Eve all the garden, and says, it's all yours. You have dominion over the whole earth. Everything is yours. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trust me here. Don't do it. Trust me. That's the first place he throws it out. It's, an impl- it's not you know, stated directly. It's implied. But really, it's, trust me. This is for your good. You've got everything. Just don't do this one thing. Trust me. It's not good for you. He didn't listen. What about the ark? What about Noah? God says there's a lot of evil in the land and I am going to destroy all flesh. This is in chapter 7 of Genesis. And, and he says, Noah! Build me an ark. And I want you to get all this food and store it on the ark. And then I'm going to bring all these animals and we're going to put all these animals in the ark. 
and you're going to take your family and, and you're going to put them in the ark and we're going to close the doors because I'm going to flood the earth. And maybe you've heard the Bill Cosby version of this. So God goes through the whole thing. You know, he goes through this whole thing. And at the end of it, what does Noah reply? What's rain? Because <laughs> it hadn't rained on the earth yet. Talk about some serious faith. But God says, trust me. Do these things. It's for your good. Trust me. So God, very early on in the Bible, has set the stage for trust. Trust in the Lord. Let's look at one more. How about Abraham? So Abraham gets called out of the land he was living in. The land of his fathers. And God tells him, look, I've got a place for you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars of the heaven, more than the sand of the seas. Trust me. Follow me. Go where I lead you. And Abraham does. And what does it say? It was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15.6 It was counted to him as righteousness. Because... Abraham trusted in God. He believed in God. God likewise today calls us to do the same things. God says to each of us, trust me. Put your trust in me. Trust my son, Jesus. Put your faith in him for your salvation. Trust me. Trust in me when the times get hard. Trust in me when there's no more money left in the bank account. Trust in me when you're overwhelmed by what you see on the news. Trust in me. Trust in me to do good in the land, even when all you see about you is evil. Trust in me when you see giants in the land, and you are like grasshoppers before them. Trust in the Lord. We need to see something here about trust. Trust is always linked to action. Trust is linked to action. What does it say? Trust in the Lord and... Do good. We have faith, and faith turns to action. It's not enough to put your trust in the Lord and then do nothing. God has called us to trust in Him. He's called us to trust in Him for a purpose, and that purpose is to see His name glorified. And His name is glorified when we are obedient to Him when we're faithful to His commands. It's one thing for us to say that we trust in God, but it is another to put our faith in Him and let that lead to action. There's a new, story, there's a new Testament parallel to this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, if you will. In Luke 10... 25 
through 27. We see the opening parable, the opening of the parable of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him a simple question. What's written? What's written in the law? What does it say? The Lord replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If we are to truly love God like this, with every fiber of our being, we have to trust Him. But it doesn't stop with loving God. Loving God in the way that it says, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, translates vertically into an action of loving your neighbors. So very practically, loving God with every fiber of your being also means loving my neighbor. If we love God, we will trust in Him to love our neighbor, to do good in the land. But David is no fool. In this life, he has seen much wrongdoing. He has seen much evil. And in fact, David's participated in it. Love your neighbor? I think he murdered his. I think he committed adultery with his neighbor's wife and then murdered him. David knew evil because he'd been a part of it. But David knew evil from the other end too because he faced it from Saul who persecuted him, who tried to kill him regularly. He knew it from his own sons who rose up against him, from Absalom. And yet David always tried to do good to Saul. David never took the opportunity to raise his sword against Saul. And he had the opportunities to kill him and didn't. Because he was God's anointed. He didn't want to come against his own son. And there were others that he showed mercy to time and time and time again. David understood evil. He also understood that doing good in the land made all the difference. In David's time, what did it mean to be faithful as an Israelite? Well, it would have meant following the laws, following the commandments. God's law had really placed Israel in in, in an absolute contrast with its neighbors. Following God for them meant not intermarrying among the other nations. That's not something that was common. Everybody intermarried. It's what kept peace between nations a lot of times was intermarriage. God called his people not to intermarry, to stay, stay away from that. It was part of the way they dressed the clothes they wore, the food they ate or couldn't eat, they couldn't buy and sell 
on the Sabbath. They couldn't travel on the Sabbath. All these rules, these kind of stipulations that kind of set Israel apart. It set Israel apart so that their God would be recognized in the land. That's an important part. God being recognized in the land. It's key to what we're to do. To how we're to live. Their faith and their actions made them stand out among the nations. Now as time went by, Israel became just like the other nations. If you read the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, all the way through like Kings and Chronicles and all those, you're going to find that they became just like all the other nations, and in fact, worse than the nations around them. And yet, God always kept a remnant of people. He always kept a remnant, and they did good in the land. And they stood out. Good will always stand out. And if we are consistently doing good, we will stand out. When people do good, when wrongdoing and evil are all around them, it has an effect. It convicts. It convicts. It calls to repentance. It is a clarion call to those around them. Some will turn to the good because of that conviction, but others will not. Others will reject that, and if you are persistent in the good, they will do everything they can to remove you and eventually destroy you. Because that is the effect that good will always have with evil. It will always draw a line. You see, for some, as we read in Hebrews 11, their faith, their trust in God will lead them to conquering kingdoms. But for some, their trust in God will cause them to be sawn in two. In either case, we are called to one thing, and that is to dwell in the land and to do good. To trust in the Lord that God is faithful. Now, our, our good makes a difference. It always does. For instance, look at Tabitha in Acts 9. Who was Tabitha? She was the woman. She was a disciple, it says, who died, and Peter raised her from the dead. But it says that she dwelt in the land and that she did good. She was always doing good and was always very charitable to those around her. She took care of widows. She took care of the people around her. Christ in her made a difference. And people all around her saw it. And in this case, they loved her for it. But it's a different case if we go to Acts 6. Consider Stephen. In Acts 6 and 7, he's doing good. 
He's doing great stuff. He's, he's one of the deacons that they've set up. He's feeding the widows. He is proclaiming Christ. And this gets him picked up by the Pharisees. He goes before the Sanhedrin. What's their purpose? They want him to shut up. They want him to recant. Stop this discussion about Christ. But what does he do? He proclaims Christ all the more clearly. All the more clearly. And he calls them on the carpet for him. And then what happens? They take him out to stone him. And he says, just to really put the icing on the cake, I see the Son of God. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And they go over the top. They stone him. And the last thing he says, his Father forgives him. He asked for God to forgive his killers. I don't know when you do good in the land whether you're going to be conquering kingdoms or sawn in two. But God calls you to trust in him. And think about that for just a second. What, it, what happened with Stephen? A great persecution enters the land after that. Right? The church is scattered. To the four winds. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. No! It actually fulfills exactly what Christ said in Acts 1.8. And what did he say there? He says that this kingdom is going to go forward. It's going to go into... Do we have it up on the board? No? Okay. Um, into Into... From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and in to the ends of the earth. So God uses it as a catalyst. He uses Stephen's death as a catalyst to propel the church out into Judea, out into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And that's what the whole rest of the book of Acts takes us through. What if Stephen hadn't trusted God? What if he hadn't been stoned and put to death and allowed himself, allowed his life to be laid down for Christ? I'm sure God would have raised someone else up. Maybe there would have been a different story in Acts. But because of his faithfulness, because he trusted in God, even though evil men were all around him, the gospel went forward. The church expanded. We are told to do good in the land. We're told to dwell here among the evil. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It's a frightening thing. And there are plenty of days I would much prefer to pack my bag and head back south. Just the truth of it. There are days when trusting in God just isn't easy. When I place my trust in God, He calls me quite often to step into places that are well outside of my comfort zone. To do things I don't want to do. And yet, when I trust in God and step out, God has shown me that He will act on my behalf. When I move in faith, 
I am built up and I am encouraged. And this is true for me and it's true for you and it's true for this church. We need to take time to see how God has moved on our behalf in the past. Because it will build up our courage for the future. And that is why David gives us this example of grazing on faithfulness. We need to graze on faithfulness. Now, it's probably my favorite passage in the whole book, in the whole little section here, um, because it takes me back to Psalm 23. It reminds me I'm kind of a sheep, and I serve a great shepherd, right? And that shepherd has a purpose. See, that shepherd, it says in Psalm 23, that he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He calls me to graze on faithfulness. He reminds me that I'm a sheep and that I have a good shepherd. And the good shepherd is always looking forward. He's always, one, looking at my behalf. But the shepherd, when he starts out, knows the end from the beginning. The shepherd always knows where he's going to wind up at the end. He's going to take the sheep on this long route, and he always knows where they're going to end up. He's going to take them during the different seasons from one pasture to the next, where the grass is green, where there's fresh water flowing, because that's what the shepherd does. He watches out for his sheep. Now, sheep don't eat on the run, so he allows them to rest in the pasture and eat their fill of the great grass. He wants you to graze on faithfulness, God's faithfulness to you. He's going to put you in the pasture and he's saying, look, take time to see where I've led you. Take time to see that I have always been for you, that I have never rejected you, that I have never forgotten you, that I've never left you, that I've always gone before you and made a way for you. See that I am for you. Graze on faithfulness. I could tell you my own story, and I don't have time because it's getting late. Um, but God has been faithful to my family. If I were to tell you, I first met Paul not long after I got saved in 1995, and he was my small group leader, my care group leader back in Maryland. It was an odd set of circumstances that brought either one of us to Maryland working in our Aberdeen Proving Ground. It was an odd set of circumstances that had me living where I lived so that I attended the same church he attended. It's an odd set of circumstances that brought me back to Washington, D.C. It's a more bizarre set of circumstances at all that I was still attending the same church the next time I came to Maryland when Paul made a phone call down there and said, wow, I could use some help to the pastor that knew his Pope. It's a bizarre set of things to me that a family here provided us a house 
It's a bizarre set of circumstances to me that I could not find a job to save my life when I came up here. And yet that opened the door for me to go to a seminary. And I never anticipated going to a seminary. I'm just telling you, that was not in my list of things to do. You know, that was not in the check. No, it wasn't there. And at 47, it definitely wasn't in my list of things to do. But God was faithful. God knew the beginning from the end. God has a story in each of our lives. And we can look back across it and say, God moved here, he moved here, he moved here, he moved here. And he brought me to where I am today. And he's calling me to do this thing. And I can trust in God. Because of all these things before. And his promises to never leave me. So I can step into this. And sometimes it feels like you're Indiana Jones. And you're supposed to cross to the other side. And so you just go, and you trust. You trust in God, and you, and you let your foot fall on that bleared bridge that you can't see. Because that's God. That's God. He's always there. He's always faithful. And he never lets me fall. He calls us to drink deeply from the water of his word. And he calls us to follow him. For when we trust in God, when we eat, graze on faithfulness, when we drink deeply of his word, what does it say he's going to do? He restores my soul. Friends, I need my soul restored regularly. I need it restored regularly. And so I put my trust in God and I turn to Him. I look to what He's always done, where He's always been faithful. I look to His Word, which tells me He always will be faithful. And it gives me a plan for my future and what I should do to do good in the land. And because of that, I step forward. Uh, very practically, friends, I think um, I want to encourage you today. Place your trust in the Lord. He sent His Son for you, Jesus. He sent His Son to die for you. From the very beginning, it's what uh, Phil was saying earlier. From before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew you. It's in Ephesians 1, if you want to check it out. It says it there. God knew you. He loved you. He set you apart. He called you His own. He sent His Son to die for you, to make a way so that you could be restored, so that you'd be reconciled to Him. Trust Him. Put your trust in Him. Commit your ways to Him. He's faithful. He loves you. He will never let you down. I believe some of you have maybe had something that God has put on your heart in the past. As I was praying about this message this week, it just it was on my heart that God has given many men and women something that He's placed on their heart. 
And you've seen the evil in the land, you've seen the giants, and you've said, I, I can't do this. Maybe you've said, I'm too old. Maybe you've said, I just don't have what it takes up here. I don't have the education. I don't have the ability to do this. God says, trust in me. Trust in the Lord. If He's given you something in your heart to do, do it. Do good in the land. Do good in the land. Feed on God's faithfulness. What He's done for you in the past, He will not let you fail in the future. He will uphold you. He will strengthen you. He will make a way for you. So I just commit to you, if God has put those things on your heart in the past, and you have put them behind and said, no, I can't, then I just commend to you, repent. Pick it back up. Commit to those things. Commit to being faithful to what God has given you. You can trust in God for every aspect of your life. Let's pray.